Well, it's good to be back. I was on vacation last week, and uh, it was interesting. When I came here and I saw the worship team practice, there's just an overwhelming sense that of all places in the world, this is where I'm most comfortable. This is where everything just seems right for me, in the presence of God in his sanctuary. Now, I get that God is omnipresent and everywhere, but for some people, it might be the uh, sporting field. Others, it might be the office. But for me, I feel most comfortable here in this place. And so I hope you sense God's presence here too as we study, you know, God's word. But it's interesting as we are continuing Um, dealing with the COVID-19 virus. I don't think anybody at the start of the virus felt or even predicted that this would cause such a visceral response from people. Well, we're seeing that fundamental beliefs are clashing and it's leading to arguments and and protests. And I know when we first started this and we, we were looking at how do we deal with it, I don't think anybody thought the, um, uh, clashing or the arguments would that be this great? And, and even as a simple thing as wearing a mask would cause so much disagreements and arguments within our community. And it's sad, you know, and, and it all stemmed from a certain fundamental belief on how to deal with this, whether people believe that it's their constitutional right not to wear masks or people are saying, you know what, we need to wear masks because it saves lives. You know, fundamental beliefs are, are clashing and it's causing arguments. And it's so sad to see this happening within our country. But you know what? This happens in the church also where people clash and they fight over theology. They fight over Bible interpretation. They fight over church polity and organization. And this pains God to see this happening. Because in Proverbs 6, and I don't have that down, but Proverbs 6, starting with verse 16, it says, there are six things that God hates and seven that are detestable to him. And so the author of the Proverbs says, you know, there are six things that God hates. And he lists out those six things out of the seven. But he says the seventh, the seventh is detestable to God. Well, God hates these six things. Number seven is detestable to him. And so what is that seventh thing that's just so detestable with God? And this is what the author says. This is what God finds detestable. A person who stirs up conflict in the community. Do you get that? A person who stirs up conflict in the community. That is what God finds detestable when he sees his church fighting amongst each other. When he sees his church calling each other out and saying, well, you believe this? Or when you see people calling each other out because of their disagreement and you see fractures in the church, God finds that detestable. And today we're going to take a look at two groups of people who heard the same exact message, 
but they handled it very differently. You know, some responded in hate, malice, and others responded in joy. And today we're going to take a look at what was the difference. And the difference is love needs to be the foundation of our belief system and not knowledge. So if you turn with me to First um, uh, Samuel sixteen seven, and this is a verse that I want to lay the foundation for us today. Now, this is a verse where God has charged Samuel to look for a king for Israel. Now, um, God never wanted Israel to have a king. God said, I will be your king. But Israel wanted to be like all the other nations, and they wanted a king for themselves. So God relented to them and said, okay, we will give you a king. Now, after the first king, Saul, did not work out, God charged Samuel, who was a prophet, to look for the next king. And this is what the author says. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider the appearance of his or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Brothers and sisters, we need to make it clear that God looks at the heart. It doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't matter what we do. God looks at our hearts. He weighs our actions and our motivations based upon our hearts, right? For him, it really doesn't matter what we say we believe, how we interpret scripture, or what we do in our, how we live out in interpreting the scripture. God is looking at what? Our hearts. And so that's the very foundation of today's sermon. So I'm going to piggyback after what um, Pastor Marco shared um, last week. So turn with me to Acts 5, verse 29, and we're going to start there. Now, this is where Peter and John, well, they were talking to the religious leaders at this point. And Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgiveness of the sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obeyed this. And so basically he was calling out the religious leaders, and he was letting them know who Jesus Christ was. In a, in a sense, they were sharing the gospel message to the religious, religious leaders. But take a look at their response here in verse 33. When they heard this, they were furious and they wanted to put them to death. Okay, they had just received the gospel message from the, uh, the apostles. And when they heard this, you know, they were saying that, hey, we're telling this so you could repent. But the religious leaders were furious and they wanted them executed. And they were upset because this was a new teaching. This didn't fit within their construct of their belief system. And they were so um, <clears throat> motivated and passionate about keeping their faith system that they were <laughs> wanted to kill the apostles 
because they felt that they were teaching them false doctrine. And see, the, their belief system, meaning the Jewish religious leaders' uh, religious uh, system, they gave them power. These religious leaders were powerful men, and they were prestigious men. And this religious system or construct gave them a really good life, especially the Sadducees, who were kind of like seen as the uh, Roman puppets, where their role was just to keep the peace with Romans so they could maintain their high privilege or status. They were so into the letter of the law. Now, now to give them the credit, they knew the Old Testament backwards and forward. They knew the Old Testament better than myself, better than most believers today because they um, valued Scripture, right? But they were so intent on the letter of the law, they couldn't even see that Jesus, the man that they executed, was the fulfillment of the very law that they were studying. And these were bright men. How could they not see that Jesus was the fulfillment of everything that they were studying? They should have been able to see this. Why? They were concerned about the letter of the law and not the spirit of the law. See, the letter of the law is easy for us because it tells, okay, do this, don't do that. And so when we take a look at um, uh, obe- being obedient to God, which is an important thing because Pastor Marco talked about that, and our lives should be lived in obedience to God. But that's the easy part. It's, I'm not going to do this, I'm going to do this. But really, what does God want his word to do? just so we could know it up here and so we could do it? No, God is, wants his word to come into us and to transform us. God gave the law not to give people a set of rules. God gave Israel the law because he loved them. And this is the best way for them to live their life, that, they would, that the other nations would see Israel who has a God who instituted these rules, not out of judgment, not out of an iron fist, but out of his love for his people. And that's something that the religious leaders forgot. They understood the letter of the law. However, they didn't understand the spirit of the law. The spirit of law, did they want... People to kill people? No, that's not what the purpose was. The law was given, number one, to show Israel that they didn't measure up to God's standard, but then God provided a way for them to. But number two is God created the law to show them that they can't, that since they couldn't live up to the standard, they needed a savior, which is Jesus Christ who was the fulfillment of the law, and they can't completely miss that. And sometimes, you know, we, and I've done that um, too. But then we see a, a, um, a prestigious teacher step up and address them. In Acts, in verse 34, it says, But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered 
that the men be put outside for a little while. And so we have the Gamaliel. He was a very um, revered teacher. He was actually Paul, the Apostle Paul's mentor. He was honored by all the people. And he stood up, and the Sanhedrin was just a body of Jewish leaders. And he asked the Apostle to be put outside because he wanted to address them. And then he addressed the Sanhedrin, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. And he was killed, and all his followers were dispersed. And it came, it all came to nothing. And so basically what he's saying is, hey guys, you know, be careful about how you treat these men. Because remember, there was this guy named Thutis, who also um, started an uh, uprising, and he called people to follow him, and he died, and it amounted to nothing. Now, we don't know exactly who this one person was, but there was this man named Thutis at the uh, time, and that what happened was that he um, <laughs> encouraged people to follow him across the Jordan to get to a place where it's beyond the reach of the Roman government. And so people sold all their belongings, and they followed him uh, as they were going to cross the Jordan. But the thing was, he thought he was Joshua. He thought when he was going to go to the Jordan that he would just go like this, and that the uh, Jordan would part, just like it did for Joshua. But he was a false teacher, false prophet. And guess what? It didn't open. And so the Roman government pursued him, the Roman government executed him. And then when he was executed, his whole cause just disappeared. And then he continues in verse 37. And after him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all of his followers were scattered. And, and so what Gamaliel is saying here is, guys, look. You know, Jesus and these apostles, you know, they're starting these movements. But yeah, we've seen this before. And don't worry about it. When um, we killed Jesus and when his apostles are dead, pretty soon this whole thing will go away. Then he says in verse 38, Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. That sounds pretty good, right? You know, if this purpose or activity is of human nature, it'll fail. But this isn't correct. And this leads me to my first point. Failure doesn't mean that God wasn't in that activity. There are many instances in Scripture where we see people failing. But people failing. And God uses their failure to teach them, to train them. And there are so many people that I've run into. When we think that, when they were thinking they were do, doing something from God, they thought that it would be perfect, that there would be no failure. And I used to think that way too. And when I used to do something, when I thought in my heart that I was doing this for God and it failed, that, okay, something wasn't right here. You know, God, you're not in this. If you were, it, would have, it wouldn't have failed until I realized that God is in our failure. 
No, just because you do something in the name of God and it fails doesn't mean that it was of human origin or that God wasn't in it. Because God uses failure to teach us. And this is one principle that I've said over and over and over from the pulpit, that it's okay to fail. Because when you're failing, at least it shows me that you're trying, that you're trying to learn, that you're going out of your comfort zone to do something from, for God, that God is stretching you. And yes, yes, you may fail. But don't let that get you discouraged to say, okay, God wasn't in it. God uses, you know, some of the most important lessons that God has taught me is out of failure. It's out of time when I acted out of cowardice, when I acted uh, out of pride or out of fear. Failure doesn't mean that God wasn't in that activity. And he continues, but if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. This brings myself to the second principle. Success isn't always an indicator of God's blessing. Now, this is important. When we're doing ministry, when we're taking up a cause with God, we take a look at numbers. We take a look at growth. And if we see all of these things, it says, God is in this. We are being successful. Success isn't always an indicator of God's blessing. Just look at some of the cults that we see today that are growing in number. I mean, they're Jehovah Witnesses. They're out there, you know, um, proselytizing people to what? Join their belief system, and it's growing. Now, is that from God? No, it's not. And it might appear that they're being blessed because they're growing, but it's, I don't believe that's from God, right? So success isn't always an indicator of God's blessing. So when we fail, we can't shrink back and be afraid to try again because we thought we were doing from something from God and it failed, thinking that, okay, God wasn't in it, and then we'd be afraid to do something else again. No, failure is a part of God's plan for us. But on the flip side, when things are going well, we can't just pat ourselves on the back and say, woo, God is with us, God is blessing us. He might, and he might not be. Okay? Verse 40. His speech speech persuaded them, and they called the apostles in and had them flogged or whipped. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now, you would think that by reading this, that Galileo was a wise and spiritual man. But really, he wasn't. He was just a pragmatist. And he was really ambivalent about Christianity. His purpose was to prevent Peter, John, and all of the apostles from being martyrs that would ignite the Christian faith and have it explode all over the place. That's really what he was trying to prevent. He was trying to prevent them from being martyrs in order to prevent the growth of the Christian faith. He wasn't this faithful 
and wise person. When Peter, John, and the rest of the apostles spoke to the religious leaders, they were met with anger, hatred, and ambivalence. Right? But then, earlier, you know, they get, Peter gave the same message to the Jewish people, and they got a totally different response than the religious leaders. Right? If you turn with me to Acts 2.36, it says, And Peter was saying this, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He gave the exact same thing. He accused the religious leaders of crucifying the Messiah, and he was telling the Jewish people that you crucified the Messiah. The religious leaders responded with hate, malice, and anger. How did the people respond? When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Well, what was the difference? What was the difference? They both received the same message, but they both had different responses. The difference was an issue of the heart. Turn with me to uh, Revelations 2, verse 1. Revelations 2, verse 1. And for those of you who are in Chris Rapp's class, you're going to be going over this again. This is to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, These are the words of him who holds seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, I don't have the time to explain what those things are, but I know for those of you who are in Chris Rapp's class, you'll get these things explained to you. It says, I know your deeds. This is what um, Jesus is saying. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles who are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Now, here we see Jesus commending the church in Ephesus. They knew their stuff. They knew Scripture. They were studying the Scripture, which they should, and they were obeying the Scripture, and they were not just doing it casually. They were working very hard at it, and they were persevering through difficult times, and they were saying that whenever you had a speaker, that you tested what that speaker was saying to see if the speaker or teacher was teaching the truth or not, and those are all things that we should be doing, and this is good. Until we see the next verse. Verse 4. It says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. Wow. You know, they knew this scripture. They were doing the right things. Right? They were trying their best to apply scripture in their life. They were testing the te- uh, teachings of the people that would become them before them and teach. But what does Jesus say? I hold this against you. Why? Because you didn't know the Bible? That you weren't applying it to your life? He said, no. That you have forsaken the love that you had at first. See, the church in Ephesus... They got so involved in studying scripture 
and applying scripture, which they should be doing, they forgot to love God and love Jesus. Their motivation for all of this was not out of love of God and love for other people. And Jesus is warning them, look, you guys, you forgot that. You guys were so intent on the letter of the law and doing it that you forgot about the spirit of the law. You forgot that I am the God that sees your heart. And that love you had for me and the love you had for people, that's gone. And you need to repent of that. You know, that's, that, that could happen to each one of us. You know, it's happened to me. You know, when I was a younger believer, man, I used to have Bible wars with people that I weaponized Scripture, where I used Scripture to attack people and to, appro- to prove that they were wrong and that I was right. When I was in Biola, there was this one time where this one person thought I did something. So I come back to my dorm room, and I see this post-it with a Bible verse on it. I was so incensed. I said, who is this guy to throw this Bible verse at my face? So you know what I did? I got back and I wrote another Bible verse and I posted it on, on, his, uh, on his door. And then he, and I come back and I see another post-it on my door. And then I go back and I put another post and back and forth, back and forth. And we got into this Bible verse war. <laughs> is this what God wanted? No. I mean, we both knew our scripture. We both knew our scripture. You know, we are both trying to apply the scripture, but God would say this, Dave, man, you know your scripture, but you have forgotten your first love. You have forgotten to love me. Is your behavior truly a reflection on me? And is your behavior truly glorifying me? And the answer was no. And obviously, I didn't have love for my brother because my goal wasn't to love him. My goal was to prove him wrong. My goal was to prove him wrong. Our actions need to be evaluated. <clears throat> excuse me. Our actions need to be evaluated by our love for God and people. You know, the Bible is extremely important. Knowing the Bible is extremely important. Applying the Bible to our lives is extremely important. However, our actions need to be evaluated by our love for God and people. That's why it's so easy to fall into a workspace faith that leads to self-righteousness and hostility towards others who don't believe the same. And that's what we see here. That's what we see the religious leaders The people embraced God because they had a heart that was soft and open to God. The religious leaders had a hard heart, and they saw Jesus as a threat, and so they wanted to execute him. This is not in your, um, up there, so if you could just write down 1 Corinthians 13. It says, if I speak in tongues of men and angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have the faith that could move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. 
if I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I might boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. What the Apostle Paul is saying here is you could be like the Pharisees and religious leaders. They knew their stuff. They had the Bible down backwards and forward. But the one thing they lacked, they lacked love for God and they lacked love for people. Therefore, it really amounts to what? Nothing. You could do the most amazing things in the name of God, but if it's not done out of love for him and other people, it pretty much, well, not pretty much, it amounts to nothing. And then it says, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they had been counted worthy of suffering this disgrace for the name It says, day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is is the Messiah. You know, they were beaten. They were whipped um, for their belief system. But what happened? They knew. They were witnesses to everything that they were teaching. They believed it with all their heart. And when they preached it and shared it, it came out of a place of love. And so when they were beaten, they counted it a privilege to suffer for Jesus. But when they left, they were still obedient. You know, the religious leaders told them, hey, stop preaching. But they said, no, no, we're going to still preach. We're going to still preach out of our love for God and out of our love for people. But they left with joy. They left with joy. And this is the last point, and this is where I'll end. Obeying God out of love for him and others should result in joy. It should result in joy. It should not result in hatred. It should not result in anger like it did for the religious leaders. They thought they were serving God. They thought they were serving God. But what was the result? Evil intentions. Remember, God looks at the heart. And when your heart is right, when you are serving God, it doesn't matter if you're persecuted. It doesn't matter if people disagree with you. That result should be joy. And this is why I really don't spend a whole lot of time arguing with people anymore. In my younger days, I would. In my younger days, man, I would go to battle with people to say, this is why your belief system, this is why your religious belief system is wrong, and this is why why I am right. You know, I I never influenced anyone for God by that, right? It's work of the Holy Spirit. And so I realized, you know, my goal is to tell people the gospel of the message out of love for God and love for others. It's the Holy Spirit the one to convict their heart, not how smart I am and not my ability to sell them on whatever it is I'm saying. And then when I started to realize it, that that's the work of the Holy Spirit, not not my responsibility, there's joy. I I used to get angry when people disagreed with me. I used to get angry when I shared the gospel and they said no. And I'd go, what's your problem? And then I would even try harder to convince them. There was no joy. Obeying God out of love for him and others 
result in joy. So what's our weekly challenge this week? Our weekly challenge is to read Acts 5, 29-42 and Revelation 2, 1-5 daily. And evaluate your faith and ask yourself, do I obey God out of duty or love for him? Why? The Pharisees, they serve God out of duty and obligation, not for love, uh, for God. The apostles, on the other hand, serve um, or obey God out of love for him. And as you serve God this week, see if it results in a joyful heart or a frustrated one. And if you're constantly frustrated in serving God, it's a good check and a good reminder that something's not right. But the good thing is that if we confess that, God is, going, God is able to change your heart. And just maybe, just maybe, you might have a heart of a Pharisee instead of a heart of the apostles. You know, and we've all had the heart of a Pharisee. I have, and I consider myself a recovering Pharisee. But when you serve God out of love for him and others, it results in great joy. It results in great joy. Let's pray. And worship team, please come forward. Gracious Heavenly Father, you know, I confess to you that there were times when I acted like the religious leaders. When any belief system that opposed mine would cause a reaction in me to attack, to fight, to try to convince. And the result was not joy, but just anger and frustration. Father, I thank you so much that you have taught me that the foundation of everything I know about you has to be love. And my actions have to be judged by your love. My love for you and my love for others. So right now, brothers and sisters, if you are sitting here right now, and there might be a disagreement that you have with somebody, it could be in a matter, uh, in the, it could be a spiritual matter, a political matter, or whatever it is that is causing strife. I want you to honestly ask yourself, are you coming from a place of love? Will you love God? And you love the person that you are arguing with. I want you to just think about an incident right now if you're going through that. And confess that to God. And ask God to change your heart so you can come from a place that loves him and loves the person that you might have this disagreement with. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the example of your apostles. And yes, Father, they knew their word. They knew your teaching. 
And they did their best, Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit to apply that in their lives. But Father, for the apostles, it came out of a place of their love for you and their love for others. Even though they were attacked for their belief system, they still loved the people who attacked them and they didn't attack back. Father, may we be like them. May your Holy Spirit transform us into a people whose actions flow from our love for you and for others. And yes, Father, as we study the scriptures and we try to obey them the best we can through the power of the Holy Spirit, Father, there will be disagreements among the body, but Father, where those disagreements exist, Father, may your love May your love pervade whatever situation we might be in. And even though we might win the battle, we lose the war if we do not have love. Oh God, forgive us for the times when we fail to show love. Where we are zealous in trying to protect your word or defend your word. But Father, I pray for each person listening here that as they continue to serve you, as they continue to obey you, that Father, that would result in joy and not frustration and not in anger, but joy that could only come from you. Thank you, God, for giving us the ability to have joy in the midst of disagreement, and in the midst of persecution. In your son's name we pray, amen.